You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope you're able to wear maroon today. Isn't it great that we live in a country we can celebrate Maroon Friday? As we choose. A little bit earlier today, it's graduation day for Audrey Robertson. I can hardly wait. Got a lot of family coming into town. So I'm doing my best to get all this taken care of. Uh, you know, get the show done so we can have some family time. You know, and uh, I don't do a lot of that. I wish I did more of it. But uh, sometimes, sometimes duty calls. But uh, this is a situation here. Where we're celebrating uh, Audrey graduating from Mississippi State in computer engineering. And I can tell you, she has had a remarkable experience at Mississippi State. Real quickly, before I move forward with the show, of all of my children, Audrey was probably the most reluctant to attend Mississippi State. Because she grew up wanting to be a golden girl at LSU. I mean, she grew up in Baton Rouge. She was born in Baton Rouge, spent most of her schooling in Baton Rouge, moved to Starkville High School. And uh, just one day, you know, she thought she was going to go to Southern Miss. Thought she wanted to get out away from family and kind of get on her own a little bit. And one day she came home from church and she said, you know, I just think God wants me at Mississippi State. And she cried and got all emotional. And I said, well, let's get it done. And now she can't imagine have going to school, gone, gone to school anywhere else. And at some point she'll probably go back and get her master's, whether she does it online or not. But uh, as I told you guys before, a degree in computer engineering, never saw that coming. But um, we're very, very, very proud. Very proud of Audrey. Without a doubt. I'm proud of all my kids, but today is her day. Today is her graduation day, and uh, I'll sit in Humphrey Coliseum and do my best to restrain my emotions as she walks across that stage. And so, uh, very happy. And again, congratulations to everyone else, all the families that are having, um, you know, a graduate of Mississippi State and really anywhere else. It is an important thing in life to be able to get your college degree. Um, and so, for all those families out there that are celebrating this weekend, tip of the cap to each and every one of you. All right, let's take some time now to thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I still haven't had the chance to get in there and get that Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Wanted to do that yesterday, but it just didn't work out. But um, I'm going to get in there here in the next couple of days and get that. And uh, I'm excited about it. 
you know, I like things that are a little bit spicy. I, mean, I spent so much time in Louisiana, I guess in some ways it kind of ruined my palate. You know, I like to have a little kick. So I'm ready to get in there and try that. As I share with you guys, too, I have had the country fried steak burger. It's, it's a little different. It really is. And uh, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. It's really good. Really good. So some new items on the menu. Be sure and go in there and check those out. You'll be glad you did. And of course, they've got your old favorites, but uh, they're always, you know, kind of tinkering a little bit, kind of trying some different things. And uh, that's what people do that are successful. They don't just get satisfied with the status quo. That's why the Eat With Us group has been so successful and served the Golden Triangle low these many years. Bulldog Burger Company, now three great locations to serve. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and of course the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive. They're in the Ridgewood Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Let them know that I sent you. Let them know that I sent you. And get those spring rolls because they'll make you and everybody else around you better looking. We need more beauty in the world. Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take some time now and look at the uh, Texas A&M Aggies. You know, our hope was at the beginning of the year to get to Omaha. But it, it, you're always, your goal every year, regardless if you're a national contender or not, your goal every year is to be playing meaningful baseball in the month of May. And I guess in some respects we are. But we're not really in contention for anything at this point. And it's disappointing. And so I'm not going to belabor that point. We're not going to have a pity party today. We're not. But this is a series, you know, beginning of the year, we looked at this and said, hey, you know, A&M finished last in the West last year. New coach there, Jim Schlossnagel, and so probably take them a year or two to get going. Maybe a chance for us to get down there and take a series. And we've had some really good success at College Station since they joined the league. We, you know, that was a weird thing last year. I wrote about that in Dogpile. It's like usually the road team wins this series. So maybe that works out well for us. Last year didn't work out well for A&M. But if you remember when those guys came in here last year, they, they played exceptional baseball. That defensively, they were outstanding. Just, just couldn't get the clutch hit, you know, which is kind of the story of us this year. But uh, they're a very interesting team. You know, Jim Schlossnagel pursued our job, and there were some people, some pseudo-college baseball insiders that suggested that he was uh, the guy. He was not the guy. And I know I, I love this. There are some message board people out there that um, they're experts on everything. And if you don't believe me, just ask them. You know, they have no connections. They just read a bunch of message boards and share stuff. And so that got out there. And I think a lot of people thought, well, you know, it's going to be slosh. It's going to be slosh. I even had somebody else in the media tell me, oh, yeah, it's going to be slosh. So-and-so told me that so-and-so told them. And Gotro told them. And I was like, no. No. That's not correct. That's not, that's just not correct. You know, it's like, I, at the end of the day, he's not here. He is a great baseball coach. He did a great job uh, at TCU, and he'll do a great job at Texas A&M. Got more resources there. Uh, always have, has been in a very, you know, fertile recruiting footprint, but he'll do a good job. But no, contrary to popular belief, we never offered him the job. He pursued the job multiple times. And even came back late, just before we hired Chris Simonis. And at that point, we had our, you know, had our, our sights set on Chris. But, uh, you know, I suspect Slosh may have a little motivation this weekend. You know, that's going down there. Not just because of the fact that they're, uh, they're pursuing a regional, but uh, maybe stick it in our face a little bit. But um, let's take a look at what the Aggies have done this year. 
30 and 16 overall, 14 and 10 in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, they opened up the year with a three-game sweep of Fordham. I wonder how Jim Moorhead feels about that. Uh, they take down Lamar, open the season 4-0. They lose two out of three in Bluebell Park to Penn. Yes, Penn. They, they salvaged the, uh, the, the middle game in this series, but they lose two out of three to Penn. I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, yeah, maybe another year. But A&M turned it around. Uh, they win a midweek game against HBU. Then they lose. They, they go to the Frisco College Baseball Classic. And uh, it's a good venue. It's a good spot. They go to there to Frisco and, again, lose two out of three. They lose to Washington State, the baseball power, the big Pac-12. No. They, they beat Iowa. And they lose to the Wichita State Shockers. It's been a while since we've seen those guys. Uh, do much, but uh, so they lose two out of three. So a couple back-to-back weekends, they lose two out of three. They take down Tarleton State in a midweek game, four to one. They get Santa Clara at their place, and they win that series two out of three. They lose the middle game, sixteen to five. So non-conference schedule wasn't really great for them. I mean, not, not, non-conference results weren't great. Matter of fact, they lose the final non-conference midweek game prior to SEC play to Houston. Eight to two in College Station. So just when you think, well, the Aggies are just not going to be very good this year. And, and I, I admit, I was probably thinking they'll be mediocre. They'll, be, they'll get better. But, you know, you know, they were 10 and six heading into SEC play. And it's not like they played a very robust non-conference schedule. It's not like they played Texas, you know, or, you know, Arkansas. They had played, you know, some teams that are, you know, mid-majors or power five opponents that are not necessarily baseball schools. And then they get ready to go to Alex Box, and you're thinking, you know what, hey, it's going to be rough. At the time, the Tigers were 14-3, uh, and three, rolling high. People said LSU is back. And the Aggies go right in there and absolutely surprise everybody by taking two of three and could have and probably should have swept LSU. Game number three against the LSU Tigers in their own backyard. It's a 7-6 win for LSU. LSU had to score in the eight to put this thing away. So it's not like it was just a fluke. A&M went down there and just played really good baseball and really outplayed LSU for the better part of 27 innings. They kind of get on track then. They take down Rice. Remember remember when those guys were good at baseball? It's amazing what need-based aid does, right? And then all of a sudden, some schools don't use it anymore. They don't use need-based aid, like Tulane. Remember when Tulane was the Super Regionals, when Andy and, and Jake were there? Same thing with Rice. You know, they, they were all kind of following the Vandy model, and they just, you know, just didn't stick with it. Now here we are. We'll talk a little more about that later in the show. Uh, Auburn. Auburn takes two of three in College Station from the Aggies. And, you know, here's interesting, too. Um, I have seen some of you guys complain about us shooting fireworks after a loss on Friday night. And, you know, all that's paid for and all that ahead of the, the guys there. It's got everything set up. Yeah, well, that happens everywhere else, too, just about everywhere else. 
So Auburn got to see Friday Night Fireworks in College Station after they won in extra innings, 6-5 over the Aggies. The Aggies win the middle game, and then uh, Military Appreciation Day on Sunday, they lose that one too. So lose two out of three. Then they go to Texas, and they beat number eight Texas in Austin, 12-9. You think, you know what, hey, maybe they've got it figured out. Maybe they're, maybe, maybe they're going to turn a corner. No, no. Then they go to Tuscaloosa, and they lose two out of three to Alabama. They win the Friday game 3-2, and then the other games, you know, were competitive as well, 10-9 and 8-4. So, you know, you look at these weekends early in the part of the season, just not a good weekend team, but they figure it out. They beat number 15 Texas State at the time, back April 5th, 8-4. They win two out of three against Kentucky, lose the middle game there. Pitcher's duel on uh, Thursday night, game one, three to two, goes 11 innings. And then Kentucky just runs out of pitching, and A&M beats them 17 to three in game three. They then go beat uh, A&M Corpus Christi. You know the the best movie that was uh, set in Corpus Christi, Texas? I'm not going to chase this rabbit trail for very long, but just seeing Corpus pop up there. And for you young people, if you've never seen this, you need to find this. It's a very 80s movie, very much is. But it was great. And we all fell in love with Helen Slater. It's a legend of Billie Jean. If you don't know it, go watch it. Because it's set in Corpus Christi, Texas. All right, so A&M then goes on the road without Billie Jean. And Christian Slater's in that movie, too. But they go to Athens, Georgia. And they win the series out there. Just when you think you've got these guys figured out, you're wrong. They go to Athens, take two out of three, lose the middle game again. And that, that's kind of become a consistent theme. But they have pounded Sunday pitching. All right, they beat Dallas Baptist, who was uh, still ranked in the top 25. Remember early in the year when people said this is the year Dallas gets to, Dallas Baptist gets to Omaha? Maybe, maybe they will, but the, you know, the luster is kind of not what it was. All right, so then, uh, again, it's uh, back to College Station. They host uh, Arkansas, and uh, they win two out of three against Arkansas. Again, lose the middle game. But they win, and that was an exciting Sunday game. I remember they got the huge lead up there and then had to kind of hang on. Arkansas had a furious comeback in the later part of that ball game. Made it awfully interesting. All right, so then everybody's thinking, you know what? They have figured it out. That was really you – know, I think that that's when – when they beat Georgia two out of three, you think, okay, well, anybody in the SEC. Then you get two out of three from Arkansas. I think you realize, hey, these guys have figured it out. These guys are playing good baseball. Then they go to Vanderbilt, and they take two out of three. Now, again, the middle game is awful. They get beat 11 to 1. But the Sunday game, again, they pound Sunday pitching, 12-4. It's, in, it's just an interesting dynamic when you see this. It's like they tend to struggle in game two, and then offensively they, they really get it going in game three. Just something to watch. Uh, they beat UT Arlington in the midweek, and then they hosted South Carolina. Again, Friday night fireworks, but this time it's an Aggie win. They win two out of three. They lose the Sunday game. But again, this, they win the middle game, but it's a 13-12 deal. Middle game pitching has been an adventure for Texas A&M. 
And uh, if you're in College Station, Texas tonight, you'll get to see some Friday Night Fireworks, win or lose, presented by Aggieland Credit Union. How about that? So let's take a quick look here and see what's happening, uh, you know, for the Aggies. And you, you may have read it with great interest that they canceled their uh, Tuesday game against Incarnate Word. And a lot of people are just, oh, my gosh, why would they do that? And they admit they did it for RP. Guys, ever, just about everybody does it. Just about everybody. We've done it before. When you're in contention for something and you don't need to take an RPI thing, you just buy that contract out and be done with it. I'm sure the folks at Incarnate Word would be happy to have the check without the, you know, the loss. But, um, nah, I mean, pe- people are overreacting to that. It happens all the time, all around the country. And, and just, especially late in the year, you know, you're like if you're a bubble team, whether it be on the cusp of hosting or the national seed or whatever, you know, there are a lot of teams out there that make these RPI adjustment cancellations. We had a game within the last two years that uh, got canceled for, quote, the threat of inclement weather, and it didn't even rain in Sarkle. So, uh, yeah, I admired them for putting it out there and saying, you know, the RPI, they're putting so much emphasis on the RPI, we can't afford to take the hit. Even by playing these guys with an RPI over 200, uh, you, don't get, you don't gain anything by winning. So, interesting. Say the- Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. 
And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Please, but um, all right, let's take a quick look inside the numbers here. Look at uh, kind of what A&M has put together, kind of what they have. I don't know how long we're going to go today. Because, like, again, people are going to be showing up at my house soon. So I'm, I'm going I'm to work hard to get this stuff done for. I'm not going to ramble too much. But um, let's look inside the stats here. You guys may not know this, too, but you know that uh, Texas A&M tried to get Jed Gotro last year. Tried to get him to leave us and go over there. He didn't, obviously. All right, let's look at uh, hitting here. Leading hitter for, uh, for the Aggies is uh, number nine, Jack Moss, a uh, sophomore from Inglewood, Colorado. Raise your hand if you expected that. 6'5", 205 pounds, uh, hitting 370. 71 hits. That's getting it done. Uh, 12 doubles, a triple, five dingers, 37 ribbies. Uh, he's walked 19 times, struck out just 34, which is pretty good considering that number of bats. Grounded in five double plays. He's six for six in stolen bases. And, and these guys have attempted as a team 78 stolen bases. Now, the close ratio not quite as good as you'd expect from Blair Chandler and close at Blair.com, 58 of 78. But they put some pressure on you. They do. Uh, Austin Boast, and he's another guy, too, that uh, we should be familiar with. Probably a guy that will be drafted this year. 6'5", 205, uh, outfielder from uh, Groves, Texas. He is uh, hitting 361 this year. Uh, six dingers for him, 27 ribbies. Doesn't really run the bases that hard, but uh, he's just another guy that gets on base. Guy's been hit by pitch 10 times. He's only struck out 18 times this year. That's a remarkable number for a guy that's had 166 at-bats. I mean, basically, you're talking 1 in 10 ABs against him, and you're seeing quality pitching. So that, that's a guy, too, going to be a tough out. Got to get in to put the ball in play. Okay, Dylan Rock hitting 329 for these guys. Uh, leads a team with, tw- with 12 home runs. He is a, uh, he's a graduate student from Sugarland, Texas. I know right where that is. Right outside of Houston. Uh, he started 41 games for him, 12 dingers, 39 ribbies. So, you know, it's interesting, too, you look at these numbers. Like, you know, Jack Moss has got 37 ribbies, and Dylan Rock's got 39 ribbies, and there's a, a differential of seven home runs. Total base is 101 for Dylan Rock, which means he's getting a ton of extra base hits, and he has 11 doubles and a triple to go with that. 37 walks, though. You know, a lot of times you see a guy that – is a power hitter, you know, a guy that's you know, big swing and miss guy. It's not really the case with him. 37 walks, which leads the team. So some, maybe some people are pitching around him, but he's only struck out 33 times. Interested to see. And here's the thing, too. 13 of 18 in stolen bases. I mean, how many times does your leading home run guy also your leading stolen base guy? It's not like he's Eric Davis or something. Pretty crazy. All right, Brett Minich, a guy that's hitting 303. And this time last year when we saw these guys, if I remember correctly, they had like one guy hitting above 300. And he was like right at 302. This year, much different deal. You got five guys hitting 300. Uh, Minich is an outfielder from uh, Colleyville, Texas, played at Colleyville Heritage. Guy's done some pretty good things for him. 
This is a solid lineup. It really is. Uh, Minich, 175 ABs, 53 hits, nine doubles, six dingers, uh, 39 RBI, uh, seven of nine in stolen bases. Another guy, kind of opportunistic out there. Only grounded to one double play, too. Uh, Troy Clonch, catcher, transferred. Uh, he's from Bakerville, California. Awfully interesting. Awfully interesting. Uh, so, Clotch hitting 302, uh, 52 hits on the year, 12 doubles, three home run, 38 ribbies. And even the catcher is running the bases. And that's the thing you kind of look up and down this stolen base thing. It's up and down the order. I mean, it is absolutely, especially among the regulars, it is pretty much everybody in the starting lineup is running the bases. Everybody on this team that's got uh, double-digit starts is running the bases. Even Jordan Thompson, a guy that's only started 19 games. He's 4 of 5. Trevor Werner started 15 games. He's 3 of 4. So they're going to run the bases. And so Logan Tanner's going to have to have a good weekend for us. There's no question about it. They're going to put some pressure on the defense. But uh, this is a team, it's a team, 57 home runs. As a pitching staff, they've allowed 31. So it's about double. They're hitting almost double what they're allowing. That's awfully interesting. I mean, it just goes to show you that they recruited some really good pitchers uh, before Slosh got there, but he's certainly getting a lot out of them. And a lot of people wonder, too, how, how what would happen, you know, with A&M without Kirk. You know, Kirk Tarlow stayed at TCU to be the head coach. Uh, and TCU doing okay this year. But, uh, you know, I think I'm a little surprised at how well A&M is pitching it, all things considered. Uh, 285 is a team it, that opponents are hitting 256. Um 334 runs scored, allowed 244. That's a nice differential. That's a 90-run differential right there. Now, they're out hitting their opponents, but not too terribly much. There's a team that hit 452. They've allowed 414. They've hit 88 doubles, allowed 76. The triples are even at eight. But the home run numbers are awfully interesting. And what that tells me is A&M's doing a good job getting on top of the ball and uh, – you know, getting under barrels as a pitching staff. They're not giving up many home runs. And we're a team, obviously, that's kind of – our offense is kind of predicated on a home run. And Bluebell Park is not exactly a launching pad. Like some other spots around the conference, you don't see a ton of home runs. You don't see like – it's not like you go on LSU and it's like, you know, you never know how it's going to break out. And, and Ole Miss is kind of the same way too. A&M is not the launching pad some other places are. And so I think that probably contributes to them keeping their, their home run numbers down. But, you know, we're going to have to go out there and string some things together and get some base hits. We're not going to hit a bunch of home runs this weekend at College Station, barring something totally unforeseen. But um, just some interesting numbers here. I mean, this is a solid lineup. I mean, you look at it, and the fact they run the bases, you know, again, I like teams that have an offensive philosophy that make you think. And that's cool. That's the case here. They're giving the pitcher something else to think about. Giving the catcher something else to think about. You know, when a guy doesn't have singleness of purpose, he can't just focus on the hitter. Sometimes people make mistakes. Everybody's a different pitcher in a stretch. Everybody. No matter what anybody tells you, everybody's a little bit different. You know, maybe a mile per hour or two comes off the fastball. Maybe the breaking ball didn't have quite as much bite. But all of a sudden, when you've got to think about that other runner out there, especially against a team that you know is going to run the bases – there's just there's a mental investment there that sometimes doesn't pay any dividends. All right, let's look at these pitching numbers. Got a handful of guys, man, but they've got a lot of guys that have uh, have, have got some innings for them this year. But um, 
not as many guys that have started. I mean, it, look, it looks like that has pretty much been you know, pretty much settled here. You know, uh, let's see, Ryan Prager is the guy that's got 11 starts. Nathan Detmer, we know we're going to see him. Micah Dallas, uh, junior at Auburn, Texas. This is a guy, too, that uh, has been really good. Did not have a good outing against South Carolina last weekend. He went one and a third innings, gave up eight hits, eight runs. His previous start against Vanderbilt, he went four innings, gave up eight hits, seven runs. So maybe Micah Dallas is fading a little bit down the stretch. You know, uh, looking at he's he has not worked into the fifth inning in his last four starts. Georgia, you know, they had that successful weekend at Georgia, but uh, he went three innings, allowed eight hits and five runs against Arkansas. Four innings, six hits, three runs. So, Micah Dallas may be a guy that um, maybe we can get to. Uh, you know, Ryan Prager, we talked about him. He's a freshman. They're, they're really high on him, and he has been, you know, a midweek and then sometimes a um, weekend guy for them as well. He went three innings against South Carolina, three hits, one run, and then pitched earlier that week, UT Arlington. Uh, went three and a third inning, allowed two hits, two runs. So, you know, he's a guy that we may see – uh, as well. This is a guy, again, they're really high on him. He's a left-hander. Uh, Nathan Detmer, this is the dude right here. This this guy, if, if you've watched A&M play, chances are if it was on SEC Network, you've seen Nathan Detmer pitch. This guy's really good. He's really, really good. Um, the, the season high and hits allowed for him was last weekend against South Carolina. Seven hits, three runs, and four and two-thirds of an inning. But in his previous three starts, and this is Georgia, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, he's allowed one run per game and really not giving you much. Doesn't walk much. Um, so I think it's important to kind of – when you have a chance to get to him, you got to get to him. But that's been easier said than done. I mean, you look, just looking at the numbers here, the most runs he's given up in a game was out there against Washington State. But outside of that, you know, it's been less, it's been four runs or less. And looking at his starts here, uh, you got five of his starts. He's allowed one run. Awfully interesting. And he's not necessarily a big strikeout guy. He doesn't have a double-digit strikeout game. And uh, it is apparent to me that this pitching philosophy is pitch to contact and get under barrels, get you to beat the ball in the ground. And so, you know, we'll see those guys now. You know, Will Johnson has made a couple starts, and Brad Rudis has made a couple starts. But, you know, those are their dudes. And, um, you know, when you start looking at the rest of the numbers here and you start wondering, okay, well, you know, uh, where does the relief stuff come from? It's kind of by committee. You know, they got three different guys that have saves this year. Uh, Jacob Polish is uh, – or Polish, I apologize for that, uh, from Richardson, Texas, went to Dallas Jesuit. He's 6'4", 215-pound left-hander. Uh, got four saves on the year. Uh, four and three record for him, 37 and two-thirds of an inning pitch. He's given up about a, a hit per inning. But keeping the ball in the ballpark, only allowed this one home run on a season. Uh, 47 Ks against just seven walks. That's a huge number there. And then uh, Robert Hogan's got a couple saves, and uh, Brad Rudis has got a couple saves. And so they kind of do it by committee. But, you know, when you look at these pitching numbers – there's not a lot that just jumps out at you and says, oh, well, you know, well, this, this, this guy has this and this guy has that. You know, Micah Dallas, the guy that struggled the most for them on the weekend, has got an ERA of 6.10, but he's got 71 Ks, which leads a team. 
but he's given up 12 dingers, which is not even close. There's nobody else even close to him on the team. Brad Rudis, the guy that's only pitched uh, 29, you know, basically half the innings, given up six. But they're not a team that gives up a ton of home runs. But they're a team you look at and say, okay, well, you don't have the big punch-out guy. Then all of a sudden you look at these opponent batting averages and you begin to realize, you know, hey, these guys are making you hit their pitch. Micah Dallas, we just talked about him. Teams are hitting 300 against him. You know, maybe that works out well for us. 11 wild pitches, too. I mean, his numbers are not great. But when you start looking at Nathan Detmer here, 243. But he's scattering these hits. His ERA is just 3.18. 5-2 record all year for him, you know, with a whip of 1.18. You know, 65 innings pitch, which leads the staff, and he's a little bit less than one hit per but uh, just allow the two home runs this year. I mean, how many guys you know in the SEC that have thrown 65 innings and allowed just two home runs? I mean, you start looking inside the numbers here. It just it seems to me teams are having a difficult time barreling these guys up. So we're going to have to great have to have a great hitting approach up there. If not, we're going to go in there and beat the ball on the ground, shorten these games up for them. It's just it's incredible to look at the numbers and you look at how well they played here as of late. Yeah, but there's not one guy that just jumps out the page at you and you say, you know what, this is a guy that can, you know, can carve us up here. But then you see Detmer's numbers and, and realize that he's just not giving up many runs, just 28 runs on the year, and, and 23 of them are earned. It's an outstanding effort, especially you know, considering that this is an A&M pitching staff that was supposed to really be in transition. Now, you may be curious, too, Xavier Lovett, you know, former Mississippi State pitcher, transferred out there. You know, how's he doing? Well, he's just doing okay. Um one of the better walkout songs we've had. X is going to give it to you by DMX. Uh, Xavier Lovett, ERA of 12. Um, no record for him. Seven appearances on the year. Just uh, six innings pitched. Has allowed five hits, ten runs, eight of them earned. Uh, five walks, six Ks, three doubles, and a triple. Uh, you know, listen, hold no ill will in my heart uh, for Xavier Lovett. But, um, you know, my attitude has always been, you know, my allegiance is to the Emerald Rest. You know, when, when you leave, you leave. But, um, yeah, I wish the kid well. You know, ho- hope he uh, gets his college degree and um, meets his wife and has a great life. You know, just hope he never beats Mississippi State. But, um, but you may be interested to know that. But, again, the, the thing that just jumps out to me at his pitching staff is that nothing jumps out. You know, there are sometimes you look at these teams and you say, oh, well, this guy is a shutdown guy or this is a guy we got to be careful about. These are just good, solid college pitchers. These are guys that are going to pitch to contact and make you put the ball in play. And I think these are going to be games, too, that uh, I think they're going to be pretty tightly contested. And so if you ask me, can we win a series? Yes. Do I expect to win a series? No, I don't. But I won't be surprised if we do. I'd love it if we did. Uh, I think Texas A&M is a really good team. I don't think they're a great team. I don't think they have a lineup that you look at and just kind of scares you to death. I think they're just so – I think there's some length in the lineup where you can't afford to take it bats off. Uh, and, you, and looking at their fielding here too, you know, 971 as a team, opponents have made some errors against them. Uh, they've made 50 on the year, A&M has. Uh, Cole Kaler has 11. That's interesting. Another grad student that transferred over from uh, – he's from Arizona. But, um, yeah, he's made several errors for him. But, uh, you know, by and large, it's kind of up and down up and down the order, you know. We talked about Brett Manich earlier. He's only got one. 
Uh, Troy Clonch has got five. That's a catcher. So uh, it's just a solid team all the way around. You know, and I, I've always said, you know, A&M, it's just always been a mystery to me. You know, like Texas A&M baseball is just – there's no excuse for them to be this mediocre. now. And, and maybe that's one thing that will happen. You know, with Slosh Nagel there and Ross Bjork there, because, you know, uh, Bjork is at Ole Miss. He understands how important baseball can be. You know, and maybe that's an important part of things. It's just kind of getting people involved. And, you know, in Texas, of course, there's a lot of pro sports out there. So uh, people don't always keep up with maybe the peripheral sports in their mind. And I think college baseball is probably one of those. I think Texas has dominated the state for so long. I think a lot of people at A&M just think it's just kind of something we do. But, guys, I mean, Texas A&M started playing baseball in 1894, nine years after us. We've been to Omaha 12 times. They've been six. Six. You know, we went 13, 18, 19, and 21. They've been one time since 2011. That's it. And what's interesting, too, they, they went in 51. You know, we started playing the College World Series in 1947. They went in 51. Didn't go back again in 1964. And then they basically skipped the 70s and the 80s. Went back in 93 and 99. And then didn't go back to 2011. And you say, but Steve, surely they've had a bunch of, you know, regional championships and can't get through the uh, the Supers. You know, that became the case the last few years. But, you know, if they didn't win a regional. They won one in 64, as you guys are aware, and then didn't win, didn't win, didn't win another one to 93. So you go 30 years in between winning an NCAA regional. It, just, it doesn't make any sense to me. How can a team in the heart of Texas have this much trouble fielding a competitive baseball team? It doesn't make any sense to me. They can say, well, maybe they're good in their conference. Well, they won the Southwest Conference twice in their history. They've won the Big 12 three times and won the SEC. They've credited them with winning the SEC, and this is incorrect. Um, they did not win the SEC in 2016. They won the conference tournament um, in the SEC. I guess maybe I'm looking at tournament championships here. So my mistake. My mistake. Uh but they have not won the SEC, and they've won the Big 12 regular season title four times. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They're just kind of – to me, they're, they're almost kind of scary. Like, everybody thinks about A&M football. They think, well, you know, A&M football should be so much better because of their resources, their, their recruiting footprint. Their football team doesn't scare me the way their baseball team does. Because, like, you know, in, in football, we've still got Alabama, right? you got Alabama, and to a certain extent, OSU, and then Auburn. And then, and then, like, you look at A&M football last year, it's like, hey, we finally got over the hump. We beat Alabama, and you lost to both of the Mississippi schools in the same year. So, they didn't, that didn't concern me. A&M baseball kind of does right now. You know, they're just, it's just somebody else to worry about. I mean, and every weekend in the SEC is brutal. No matter, it's not like it was, you know, in uh, decades gone by. Just part of the deal, you know. Um, so I think it's important to kind of understand that, you know, with the resources and now a baseball-friendly AD there, and you go out and you hire Jim Sosnagel, a guy that uh, had really done a good job at TCU, you know, now all of a sudden A&M may be one of those teams where just thinking like, you know, it used to be just another series, but it may end up being a series against a much better team. I know that group that came down here in 16 and ambushed us. 
They were old. A lot of seniors on that team. That was an outstanding college baseball team. And we got knocked around the yard. I could see that happening in years to come with this A&M program. I think they're a team that could be very, very good. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. That's my friend Blair Chandler. A mortgage professional. That's the thing, too. A lot of people out there competing for your mortgage business. It's better to stick with the winners. And no offense to anybody else, but I'm going to go with the guy that's got over 20 years of experience, and that's Blair Chandler. Got its license to practice in multiple states. A guy that's in the top 1% close ratio in the country. A guy that works for Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage lending. So, yeah, you could go other places. You could. And maybe you can get a good deal for yourself. Maybe you can. But you're not going to get the quality of your service. You're not going to get the quality of experience. And chances are you're not going to get the better uh, deal for yourself. So, stick with the winners. Give Blair a call today. I'm going to give you his personal cell number. Not, not an office phone. Not a 1-800 number, not some, you know, phone bank where you're going to sit on hold for 20 minutes. You can call or text him directly today. That's Blair Chandler at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Here's the thing, too. Blair likes to keep it in the family. He's been a Boneyard listener basically since I started the show. As I said, he's a friend. If you mention to Blair that you heard about him on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage. Blair's willing to eat one up for you just by being a member of the Boneyard family. So reach out let him know today that, hey, listen, I want to refinance. I want to get uh, my equity working for me, consolidate some of these high-interest loans down to one affordable monthly payment. Or maybe you're looking to buy a home for the first time. Maybe you've been turned down before because you're a non-conforming borrower. Maybe you've got an atypical property. Maybe there's a situation with you that is difficult to navigate. That's why you need a mortgage professional. You don't just need a loan officer. You need a guy that's seen it all and done it all. And that's Blair Chandler. Closewithblair.com. All right. I got hit up yesterday. uh, And I I apologize for not writing your name down. Um, I get a lot of messages. And sometimes I can't remember if if they come on Gene's page or they come on Facebook. Oh, here it is. I did get it right. It's Robbie Grantham. My friend Robbie Grantham. Um, And so he is going to disagree, I think, with my list. He has uh, ACDC as his uh, favorite live album. I, I don't have it as my favorite live album. It is, uh, I mentioned that as an honorable mention. I'll also mention, too, like uh, if, if you are, are unfamiliar with Skid Row's Oh Say Can You Scream, you should check that out. That's really cool. Uh, there, the live album has kind of lost its luster in many respects. It used to be a big thing, you know, when... Um, there were so many bands out there that made their living on the road, which is kind of the case now, but you had a lot of bands out there that, you know, they would have three or four record deals and the live album, because a lot of people couldn't get out and go see tours and people didn't tour quite as extensively. They'd release live albums and it was very cheap to produce because you didn't have guys in the studio for a year and a half or two years or whatever. Uh, you could go record a show, you mix it, you do some overdubs, and then all of a sudden you've got an album. So when there's a band that's kind of riding high, you can push that out there and be glad you did. So here we're going to go with um, 
with my top 10 live albums, and again, uh, Robbie's not going to agree that I don't have ACD included, I went a little more classic rock. Uh, not that ACDC is not classic rock. I'm not in no way trying to suggest that. But I went a little bit older and probably a little more familiar uh, for a lot of people. Um, so number 10, and some people are going to disagree with this, and I'm okay with that, but it's uh, Leonard Skinner's. It's the authorized bootleg. And the re- one of the reasons I have this so low is it wasn't recorded as a live album. It was basically... Um, kind of a very basic recording. They did their best to remaster it. So the sound quality isn't that great. Even for, you know, live albums are always so difficult to deal with sometimes, especially in the early days anyway. But I, and then we go with, there was so many different Skinner songs that everybody knows. I went with Give Me Back My Bullets. The live version of Give Me Back My Bullets, I think is uh, one of the highlights on that album. That's the authorized bootleg uh, from Leonard Skinner. Number nine, a band we've never talked about on the show. It's UFO. If you know Eddie Trunk, Eddie loves UFO and uh, believes that they're one of the best live bands. And so in honor of Eddie, but also to the fact this is a killer track, we're going with UFO's Hot and Live, Doctor, Doctor. Maybe you're familiar with that one. Maybe you're not. Uh, Number eight, Pink Floyd. We hadn't done a lot of Pink Floyd on the show. The Delicate Sound of Thunder. And this is when it was kind of like the second version you know, of uh, Pink Floyd. It was a much different deal. You know, they, they had kind of a return to prominence in the late 80s, and the Delicate Sound of Thunder was part of that. But I went with a classic track, Comfortably Numb. Most people know that one well. Uh, number seven. And what's interesting, too, is the live version of this song is more popular than the album version. And that's like that with many of these songs on the list here. But uh, I went with Bob Seger in honor of my uncle Warren Selman. He was the first Bob Seger fan I knew. You know, he, like, no matter what he did, he, like, he always seemed to have like a Bob Seger and a Silver Bullet Band shirt on. But we went with Bob Seger's uh, live Bullet album, Turn the Page, which is the iconic version of that song. Number six, the Allman Brothers. Love the Allman Brothers. We've talked about them on the show before. I think most people that are familiar with Southern Rock are fans of the Allman Brothers. So we're going Allman Brothers at Fillmore East, and there is this incredible jam version of Whippin' Post. It goes about 20 minutes long. It's absolutely incredible. So if you're unfamiliar with that, I think you'll dig that. I feel like I'm tired of the Whippin' Post. Sometimes I feel like I'm dying. Uh, number five, the band, The Last Waltz. I know some other people like some of the other live stuff they did. The Last Waltz, to me, is one of those iconic albums I think the high point on the album, not just because I'm a Mississippi State fan, but I think that the, I think the crowd makes this even better, is the night they drove old Dixie down from the last waltz. Hello, B.J. Cummings. Uh, number four, Cheap Trick at Live at Budokan. And what, what I love about this is, and this is in Tokyo, right? And so you've got an American rock band, you know, from the 70s, and... The crowd is so into it and so incredibly involved in all this. It's like it kind of blows your mind. You would think this is recorded like at L.A. or the Hollywood Bowl or something, but no, it's in Tokyo. It's incredible. So we're going to go with, we're going to be, you know, we're going to go with the, the, the chalk here. It's I want you to want me. And the more they get involved in that song, the crowd gets involved and they interject their own um, kind of response to the band. It's incredible. Number three, and I, yeah, I have read some other people have, 
like I, I, I do my stuff. I kind of look to make sure I don't miss other um, live albums, you know. So I, sometimes I'll research stuff and I'll say, you know, what's a, I'll look at other people's lists like online and stuff. It's incredible to me that so many people don't have this album. And I think maybe it's a recency bias thing. Number three on my list is Frampton Comes Alive from Peter Frampton. And I don't understand why this album has kind of lost its luster. I think some of it's because people don't have a sense of history. When Peter Frampton, and your song from Frampton Comes Alive is Feel Like I Do. When he did Feel Like I Do, and he was using um, the effects, the vocoder, I guess is what they called it back then. When he said, do you feel through the guitar and the microphone, it was unlike anything that had never happened before. And so people were like, oh my gosh, he talked to the guitar. And so it became this iconic album. And like, show me the way and all this. It's, the whole thing is so great. It is so incredibly great. It is such a happy album too. Like if you want something in life, it's some travel music to kind of get you going and get you excited. This is it, man. Frampton comes alive. It's like even even said in Wayne's World, he's like, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs. We were all issued a copy. How do you not know Frampton comes alive? I mean, it is an incredible album, but again, feel like I do, I think is something that really changed not only live albums, but I think because we were beginning to hear some advancements in technology when it came to live performances, that that album kind of stands alone in many respects. Number two, you wanted the best, you got the best. The hottest band in the land, we're talking Kiss. So we're going Kiss Alive. They've done a couple live albums over the years, I guess three. And again, this is another one of those songs where the live version gets played on the radio more than the studio album does, studio version does, and it's rock and roll all night. Could have gone a few other ones. One of my favorite Kiss songs that is kind of underappreciated is Come On and Love Me. I think that is one that uh, probably should get played a lot more, but everybody wants to play the same three or four Kiss songs and call themselves rock fans. But uh, I went also with the chalk here, rock and roll all night, just because of the fact that Kiss Alive is one of those things, too, that I think really kind of pushed Kiss to the forefront. A lot of people thought, well, there's guys in the magazines, but can they really play? And then you see they can really pull it off live. It's incredible. Rock and roll all night. And again, the live version gets more airplay than the studio version. Number one for me, and this is not really difficult to be quite honest with you, but it's a song remains the same from Led Zeppelin soundtrack from that it's it's incredible and uh, i love the ad-libs i love the stuff that robert plant does that um, it's just kind of unscripted but i went with a song that i didn't go with the chalk here i went with no quarter i think the live version of no quarter is absolutely phenomenal it's got such a vibe to it and uh, i think it's in many respects the high point on the album kind of beyond the, the major hits i mean you, of course you expect to hear and see certain things from what's up and when they play but I think No Quarter is kind of a sneaky highlight of this of this album. So we're going to go with that. And uh, I like Tool's version of No Quarter, too. Th- those of you who don't know, no, Tool covered No Quarter. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. But to me, the song remains the same. And like the whole part of, uh, you know, on a stairway to heaven. But there's still time to change the road you're on. And he goes, well, at least I hope so. All right, so there you go. Those are your top ten live albums. We, Robbie sent that in to me a couple days ago and immediately went to, like, the top of the list. And so I may not have done this list justice. Maybe there's some live albums that you like even more. Like I did not include Beast from the East from Dokken. That was one of the great live albums that came out you know, during my high school days. And I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I think the, the live version of Alone Again from Dokken is remarkable. 
Uh, ACDC has had a handful of live stuff, and uh, Angus is Angus. I mean, this is typical and amazing as always. I mean, he's very consistent what he does. My apologies. We got excited there. Uh, again, I got people coming in and out, so you got to forgive me. You may, you may hear some doors slamming. Uh, you may hear people yelling. You may hear dogs barking. It's all part of the, uh, the Friday maroon show experience. All right, so again, let's thank our good friend uh, Blair Chandler. But again, I, I might not have done this. You may say, you know what, Steve, hey, you blew it, man. You missed this live album. Send it to me. So, Steve, hey, check this one out if you're unfamiliar with it. So uh, I'll be sure and do that. And uh, if you have ideas for the top ten list, please reach out and let me know. And uh, or, or find Roy at Dogmatic67 on Twitter That's and also on Spotify, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And uh, Roy kind of keeps up with the list and uh, will kind of let me know what lists are doing well and what you guys have requested. But uh, occasionally guys hit me up or gals hit me up and they have ideas, and I'll do my best to forward them to Roy because I'll lose them. I get busy and forget sometimes. Uh, but um, this was one that uh, as soon as I saw it, I said, this is intriguing, this is a good idea, let's do it. And it gives us a chance, too, to talk about multiple bands, too. And I like being able to do that. Uh, and, again, I think there are a lot of people listening to the show that grew up on this music. And maybe some guys, maybe guys and gals listen to the show, maybe your parents did. So you you kind of familiarize yourself with this and then go back and tell your dad, hey, Dad, listen, I fell in love with uh, Franklin Comes Alive. What do you think? What's your favorite song on Franklin Comes Alive? I'm telling you. You got to get into this. You got to get into the bands that influenced your bands, and you'll kind of see the kind of the thread there. All right, so there you go, top ten list, and uh, we'll get ready to look around the SEC now. And before we get into that, let's take some time to uh, to name our prime shrimp player of the weekend to watch. And I'm going to go with Logan Tanner. You know, we talked about how important it is to kind of keep Texas A&M at bay and keep them from stealing bases and keep them. Uh, from taking singles and walks and turning them into doubles. And so I'm going to say Logan Tanner. And also, I, I think LT offensively, kind of, I think he's a guy, too, that could have the big weekend. If you notice, his average has been okay, and he hit the big home run, uh, finally got one. He hadn't hit one since April 3rd until he hit one uh, a couple days ago, the last weekend. But um, I think LT is the key. I think he's the difference between winning and losing the series, not to put any pressure on him. But my point is, You've got to be able to keep those guys at bay. And so, again, let's thank our friends at Prime Shrimp. Uh, always exciting new products from a New Orleans-based PrimeShrimp.com. Easy to cook shrimp with no mess of prep. Just drop the pouch right in the pot, uh, right from the refrigerator. Ships direct to your door, well-packaged, well-cooled, and then delicious shrimp cooked in less than 10 minutes. So if you're, cooked for, you're crunched for time but you want a delicious meal, allow the folks at PrimeShrimp.com to make it easy for you. Always a money-back guarantee, and all orders over four pounds ship free. They've been peeling shrimp at primeshrimp.com since the 1940s, originally based out of Harahan. Now they're in New Orleans, Louisiana. They know good shrimp when they see it, and they'll deliver directly to your door. It's so easy to do. You boil the pot of water, you drop the pouch in, you're done. Absolutely incredible. And so visit them today at primeshrimp.com and use promo code BONEYARD to save yourself a little money on that order. It's primeshrimp.com, promo code Boneyard. All right, let's look around the SEC. I wish that we were playing in a big series this week. I guess in some respects we are. But, um, you know, in some respects, it feels like we're kind of playing out the string. Uh, last night, Tennessee, a 5-2 winner over Georgia. That's the only series that began on Thursday. I like it that we have Thursday baseball. I don't like it when it's us. 
you know, I guess when we're home, it just kind of messes with my head because uh, I never know what day it is. But I do like the fact that we do have college baseball in the SEC Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they're doing more midweek games. You know, Ole Miss beat Southern Miss back on Tuesday or Wednesday, excuse me. So we have had SEC baseball to watch now for basically like four or five days in a row. So by the time we get done with you know Tuesday's games and get through Sunday, we'll have seen a lot of SEC baseball. But uh, a very competitive game last night. Went back and forth for a while. Uh, Tennessee, maybe not scoring with the same proficiency they did, but, you know, Georgia has great pitching. You kind of know that going in. And uh, they didn't throw Cannon. They threw uh, Crisp last night. He went six innings, allowed seven hits, and uh, just three runs. A very competitive ball game. Davis Rokos, former Bulldog, too, uh, threw the ninth and allowed just one hit, kind of kept that game in place and gave his team a chance. Just, um, you know, wasn't able to get things get, get things done. But, um, you know, so here's oh, – excuse me, that was the eighth. Excuse me. But um, so that's the only series that, that opened last night. Let's look at what's going to come uh, today. And, again, this time of year you want to be playing meaningful baseball. Kentucky's at South Carolina. That's a huge series for both teams. It really is. And Kentucky, of course, uh, gets a big series win against Tennessee last week. And, you know, South Carolina's been so up and down, you never know what to expect. Florida's at Missouri. And Theo DeRosa and I talked about this a little bit um, on Tuesday. We were, you know, at, uh, over at Hoover. You know, Florida is beginning to play up to their potential. I could see Florida going in here and sweeping this series, but I could also see Missouri get one. I give Beezer a lot of credit. They adjust throughout the weekend, and they always seem to find a way to get one. So I'm going to pick Florida to win the series 2-1, to one, which I think in many respects puts Missouri really behind the eight ball heading into the final weekend uh, to probably miss in Hoover again. And how long how long is Missouri going to let Beezer stay? I think it's six years now. Uh, just not really – I'm surprised too. I'm surprised he hadn't done better. But, uh, you know, how committed are they to college baseball? Uh, and – I'm going to pick Kentucky to win that series to South Carolina, too. I didn't mention that earlier. I, I think Kentucky wins the series, against, even though it's at South Carolina. And, and nothing's going to surprise me with these two teams. I just think Nick and them are going to kind of ride the momentum of last weekend into South Carolina and win. I told you guys I expect State to lose the series 2-1. to one. Would love it if it was different, but I expect State to lose the series. I think A&M is just pitching – uh, at a level that's just, you know, a little more competitive. Now, they're not scoring big runs. So I do think these games will be competitive and probably boil down to who makes the big mistake. And it's interesting, too, like you talk to people and say, well, you know, it's just that one bad inning. That's the game of baseball. That, that is the game of baseball. It, it's very rare that you have these back-and-forth deals. But when you have competitive ball games between two teams that are similarly situated, it boils down to who makes the big mistake and who has the, the bad half inning. Vanderbilt is at Arkansas. I like Arkansas in this one. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I, I'm going to go ahead and call it. I think Arkansas is going to sweep. I think Arkansas is beginning, again, I think they're playing some better baseball. They had the little bump in the road against A&M. I think Arkansas will take Vanderbilt down. Uh, and then, of course, Alabama's at Auburn. Pretty, uh, pretty good series here, you would imagine. Uh, probably one of the more competitive ones of the weekend. I like Auburn to win that one, 2-1. One. Ole Miss is at LSU. You know, I just don't know in that launching pad, you know, what to expect. You know, because Ole Miss is going to get a chance to swing against those same small fences LSU is. So this could be an entertaining uh, weekend. And that's going to be uh, that's going to be tonight on ESPN2 if you want to flip back and forth. That game actually starts at 730. So um, we're going to start at 630. So maybe you can catch a toe into that one. 
The LSU Ole Miss series should be a wild one. I'm going to take LSU two games to one here. But I could see LSU sweeping. But, uh, you know, LSU is starting to pitch it a little bit better. You know, you, you know, Deluce has been really good for Ole Miss. They're going to need him to have a good outing tonight. It's just so hard to beat LSU in their ballpark. It, is, it absolutely is. And you see they had the big uh, blowout of Southeastern uh, earlier this week. But um, let's take a look at the standings. And, you know, let's look at our own rooting interest here. As I mentioned earlier in the week, we got to root for these teams we're not going to catch to beat up the teams we can. Uh, Mississippi State currently 9-15 and 15 in the SEC. 9-15, and 15, dead last in the SEC West. So Auburn is 13-11. They'll take on 10-14 and 14 Alabama. So obviously we need Auburn to beat Alabama. LSU 14-10, and 10, taking on Ole Miss 10-14. and 14. Well, we want LSU uh, to beat Ole Miss. And so, you know, we're going to have to win a game to catch them. But here's the thing. We own the tiebreaker over both Alabama and Ole Miss, Ole Miss due to head-to-head competition. We won a series against both of them. So we got to find a way to get a win here, and uh, we need them to lose the series. If we end up in a tie with those teams, then we would go to Hoover, and uh, they would not. On the flip side of things, on the east, on the eastern side of things, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, and, you know, Arkansas, of course, is playing playing Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's twelve and twelve in the league. Arkansas sixteen and eight. Uh, we're not going to catch Vanderbilt, but uh, just based on principle, we want to root against Vanderbilt. And, of course, Tennessee and Georgia playing head-to-head. Uh, Florida, 11-13. and 13. We, I guess we could catch them. Uh, but Missouri, 7-17. Seven and 17. We need to make sure somebody stays behind us. So, I think in this respect, you root for Florida. And then South Carolina and Kentucky. You know, uh, I think Kentucky wins this series. But it might be better for Mississippi State if South Carolina does. And so, I think your rooting interest is to actually pull against Mengeon. I just think – I think Kentucky would win it, but it would be better for Mississippi State if South Carolina does. So that's your rooting interest this weekend. And uh, it's a shame that we're having to depend on uh, so much help uh, to get to Hoover and the Southeastern Conference Tournament. Uh, Those are the things you begin to think about. It's like, how did this happen? Well, it doesn't matter who to blame or what happened. We're here now. So let's figure out what we've got to do uh, to kind of move forward. So uh, we want to thank our friends at Campus Bookmart for sponsoring this segment of the show. Uh, Stan and Man has uh, moved on and retired. We wish Stan the absolute best, but uh, the, the show goes on. The fine people at Campus Bookmark doing a great job delivering Mississippi State merchandise to people around the country. When you're in town, come by and see their smiling faces. If you can't make it to town, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, you can, and you can get all the books there too. You can order, they have all five of my books there. You can order that when you're getting your new Mississippi State t shirts. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. All right, this um, final segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Portico. Uh, Brooks Bryan, former Mississippi State um, baseball player, still very connected with uh, Mississippi State baseball, also too with. Um, you know, kind of, you know, trying to make Starville a better place to live. It's a great place to live, and we're trying to make it even better. This great residential development, Portico. And I've got an update for you guys, too. I'm going to share that with you. First, I'm going to give you Brooks Bryan's phone number. Many of you probably wanted his number when he was in college because he went to all the best parties and uh, had all the coolest friends and, uh, you know, knew all the prettiest girls. Well, now you can have that number. It's uh, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Uh, Brooks hit me up yesterday, too, just to kind of give me an update on things. And I want to share that with you guys as well. Um, so Brooks says, uh, here we are. 
There are 10 houses in phase two that are currently under construction. Two of those are being customs and eight of those are for sale. So you have eight homes that are now for sale. These should all be done by August. How cool is that? So in time for football season, so if you've been thinking, okay, well, I don't know if I want to get into something like this now because of all the delays and the supply chain. Guys, we're looking to August. August. So you can move in in time for football season. Also have an opportunity to you know, get the kids in school here. Or maybe perhaps it's your ball game weekend retreat. There are 15 lots in phase two that are still available to purchase for customs. So you can have some say in how you want the house built. So don't delay in all of this. Um, and I think it's pretty crazy, too, to think about. You, know, you could have a place in Stargill now, whether you're going to retire here, raise a family here, or just come spend weekends with us and spend super regional weekends and that kind of stuff with us here. Um, that's not happening this year. But Starville's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise a family. And it's not just because of Mississippi State. It's because the people here are so great. So give uh, Brooks a chance to serve you. And obviously, too, you know, Portico, very, very easy to get to. Uh, you turn off 82 on the 12, the very first ride. It's Pat Station Road just before you get to campus. Just 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus. Think about how cool that would be, how convenient that would be for you. And, of course, you're on the quiet side of campus, so it's close enough for convenience but far enough away to have a little privacy. Make Portico your next move. All right, in the time that we have left, I want to talk to you about this uh, transformation committee with the NCAA. That's been in the news lately. Ross Dellinger had a big story on this. Ross, of course, Bulldog, even though he spent time covering LSU, we don't hold that against him. Uh, Ross, a great guy, man. And, and Ross, like, is b- kind of fastly becoming the guy that breaks news from the NCAA. I don't know who his connection is, but it always seems like if there is a change coming, there's a, there's a clandestine meeting somewhere in some back room of some restaurant. Ross seems to know. Um, a lot of this stuff about the uh, transformation committee is not public, but um, what they're trying to do is kind of redefine the SEC and, I mean, excuse me, the NCAA and, and essentially its mandate. That's the thing I think it's important to understand is they're trying to bring meaningful change. And there's been so much in the past that it's just kind of been window dressing type approaches to things. It's like, well, let's do this. And, and we just kind of do this to get our name in the paper. It's a much different deal now. And so I wrote an article yesterday and basically I'm going to talk about that and some other things on the show today kind of about the things that they're they're working towards. So many of us that have followed Mississippi State baseball for many years have always said that this is a discriminatory practice, that the equivalency sports don't have full scholarships. And it is. It is a discriminatory practice. It absolutely is. Not in the traditional sense. But as I've mentioned to you guys before, you know, my oldest son played college baseball. You know, he, he got a scholarship, and then we all had to get loans to make the difference. That's how it worked. Well, if he had excelled in football or basketball, he'd have been able to sign a full scholarship somewhere. But he, had to, but he signed a baseball scholarship. And it was happy to do it, and you know what? He would, that's where he was good at. He excelled at a different sport. And so basically what we're saying is, is that the head counter sports, the full scholarship sports, are only – available to men and women that excel in certain sports rather than all sports. And so one of the things that they're suggesting now is to allow the individual conferences to make these decisions about scholarship uh, you know, distribution. So 
we would be able to give more baseball scholarships. Now, we, gender equity is a huge, huge issue, it, probably the driving issue in all of this, and rightfully so. You know, Title IX was established as a federal law for a reason. And so how, so how do we raise baseball scholarships without impacting football? Well, the 85 scholarship limit is going to stand. The chances of that changing are completely non-existent. Now, to be honest with you, I, I think we need to just kind of take the fact that football pays the bills for everything. I think you ought to have to. I think you take football out of the equation. I think you ought to be able to do that. Now, some would argue too. Well, if that's the case too, then you'd never actually achieve gen, gender equity. I, I think you can in many respects, and I think in order for Mississippi State to be able to to fully fund baseball, the math is pretty simple. You fully fund softball and you fully fund soccer. And then that gives you, that keeps you within compliance with Title IX, but also gives you more educational athletic opportunities uh, for other uh, student athletes. Now, track is going to kind of balance itself out. Uh, that will kind of work together. But, um, you know, you look around, you know, the country. I mean, you know, the folks in South Dakota aren't playing a lot of baseball. You know, if you look at the Fighting Sioux, that they're a, they're a power in NCAA hockey, and they have 18 scholarships to split between about 30 players. And so, this new proposal, this new concept from the NCAA um, transformation committee, would enable them to be able to fully fund men's and women's ice hockey, and be able to provide scholarship opportunities for them. And so, people would say, "But Steve, you know, where's the money coming from? It's going to be expensive." Yeah. So here's the thing, too. It's not the money that you're going to have to spend because let's be honest. And some and people, I'm, I know that I'm going to get all these emails and texts about this, and, and and that's okay. We can disagree. In many respects, it's not real money. The money you lose is the money you're getting from fees and tuition from everybody paying the partial the difference in the partial scholarships, right? You know, say for an example. So you're already, you're already conducting the class. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be adding more students in the classroom. You're just not gonna have as many students paying. So that's where the expense comes in. Because, like, let's say for an example, you, let's say you got 35 guys on the baseball team, right? Well, you're gonna have the same 35. It's just now, now they're all gonna be on scholarship, and so you're not gonna have one more professor grading one more test, or administering, you know, any more lectures. Because you're, the, the number of your students that are, you know, impacted by this remains the same. It's not like that we've only been bringing 11.7 baseball guys to class. We've been bringing all 35 of them. And so there's not going to be an added workload for anybody. And there's some, you know, there's some, some nip and tuck with all this stuff, you know, financially. But the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, the, expend, the expense really comes from, uh, the fact that, you know, those people aren't paying the difference. And then do you bring them up to cost of attendance? I mean, those are the things you have to think about, too. And so it is going to be expensive in that respect. Um, and so people wonder where this money is coming from. You know, of course, some, we'll pay some of it, you know, as a season ticket holder. And, of course, ESPN will pay some of it, you know. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, it's good for the game of baseball. Now, a lot of people have said, well, Steve, what does this mean you know, for the SEC. I think it, it helps the league as a whole. It's one thing I wanted to point out yesterday. Uh, state and Ole Miss have done a really good job of taking players out of the state of Alabama in baseball because it's easier and more expensive. It's less expensive to attend college in Mississippi than it is in Alabama. Alabama does not waive out-of-state tuition ever, no matter the circumstances. 
They don't. It doesn't matter in football and basketball. It does in baseball because you've got to make up that difference. And so, you know, hey, do, would we have gotten Rowdy Jordan if he had been able to get a full scholarship to play baseball at Auburn? Hey, you know, no, knowing Kevin and Rowdy, I'd say, yeah, probably so because Rowdy wanted to play, you know, at the highest level and play for a championship. You know, we were going to get T.A. either way because T.A. was coming with Andy. But I think about, too, what about those guys, too, that, you know, hey, maybe you grew up being a fan of Alabama, but, you know, it was a whole lot cheaper to go play baseball at Old Miss or Mississippi State. When that kid's given the opportunity to get a full scholarship to play baseball at Alabama, does he go there? And I think probably he does. I think you will lose some of those guys. Now, the flip side of that is, is the Vanderbilt issue. You know, Vanderbilt, and, and it is, it is incredible, incredible to me how willfully ignorant so many of these Vanderbilt fans are on Twitter when it comes to the need-based aid thing. This is not in dispute except in their minds. Vanderbilt utilizes the five need-based scholarships just about every single year, every single year. And so, basically, you know, there are certain economic parameters that are involved in this. If your family makes less than X, then you qualify for need-based aid. And it's 100% scholarship. And many of these prospects would not qualify for admission or Vanderbilt if they couldn't swing a bat. And so there's not an academic component of this thing. And so a lot of people have cried dirty pool. But the, the reality of it is Vanderbilt's not doing anything illegal. You could argue perhaps that it's unethical uh, because you're basically finding a way to circumvent the 11.7. And I remember last year going to Vandy and seeing the lady hold up a sign that says 11.7 made me want to vomit. It's like, come on, lady. You know, it's one thing to do it, another thing to rub our nose in it. Uh, and then we and that made it so much more satisfying to win an NFL championship against Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt, you know, we talk about their baseball program. I would submit to you Vandy's baseball facilities are probably 12th or 13th in the SEC. That is the absolute truth. And I don't say that out of a bias. I say that as a well-traveled veteran of this conference. Vanderbilt's facilities are really run down. They can say, oh, well, the player facilities are incredible. And, and what you're really telling me is that you don't travel and cover baseball. You know, there are a lot of facilities that uh, on, are on par better than that. But I'm talking about from a fan experience. The Vanderbilt fan experience is very basic. Uh, and they have not invested much into that. They, they could change a lot just by putting a big tarp up there over the football stadium in the backside there. You don't look under the underbelly of the football stadium. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt has not really excelled in any sports except for baseball in recent years, and it's because they've been able to cut this corner because of that huge endowment they've been able to fund this need-based aid. Well, now all of a sudden what happens to Vanderbilt recruiting when everybody in the conference can offer 100%? What happens then? What happens then? Those are the things you have to think about. You know, I suspect what's going to happen with Vanderbilt, they're going to go back in the middle of the pack. They're in the middle of the pack right now. But all of a sudden, when I can't go out there and get a kid from South Florida that perhaps is uh, from a very challenging socioeconomic background and put him on a 100% scholarship, now what's going to happen? Who's going to choose to go there? Oh, we've got this great tradition. Yeah, that started in 2010. And so those are the things we've always talked about. We've got to have something to level the playing field. You know, with Vanderbilt, they've got this incredible endowment. They can afford to do things that other schools can't. And that's the, their argument, too, is, you know what, it's legal. If, don't be mad at us because you can't afford to do it. And you know what, that's fair, too. That's a fair characterization of the circumstances. But the reality of it is, is um, 
this levels the playing field in many respects. And so not everybody in the, con- in the country is going to go do this now. Now, you're going to have the ability to pay these scholarships. You don't have to use them all. You're not required to use them all. In addition to this, and it's not just in baseball, but in softball too, you're going to be able to pay your coaches. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what they set the staff limit as. You know, because like right now, there are a lot of schools out there that have like a GA or an SA that basically serves as, as a true assistant coach. Well, now you're going to be able to pay them. Like, so Kyle Cheesebro, our baseball coach, our, our, our quote volunteer coach, we're getting away with volunteer coaches. So if you have a volunteer coach in the future, it's a real volunteer. It's not a guy that's, quote, called the volunteer coach. It still kind of has their pay supplemented by the baseball camps and coaching clinics and things like that. So that's going to change if these proposals pass. Now, what's also interesting, too, everybody's talking name, image, and likeness. That's about to be in a war right there. Go ahead and get ready for that. There are a lot of people out there, oh, there's no way we can go back. There absolutely is way we can go back. You absolutely can go back because you can go back and, and, and enforce the amateurism certification requirement to compete at the NCAA. You can say if this person is profited from their name, image, and likeness, then they're, they're ineligible to play. And so what's a violation of state law? Well, you, know, it's, you don't have a right to play college sports. You said, but Steve, you, you don't. It's a privilege to play college sports. You do not have a constitutional right to play college athletics. You remember what it used to be? Like if you found out that a kid had taken money or a kid had had an impermissible benefit, they lost some of their eligibility. So, yeah, there, there will be something between the two. There will be some parameters set for name, image, and likeness that allow players to profit from their name, image, and likeness, which I am very much in favor for. But these collectives and all these things that are happening now as part of the recruiting process, that's not within the spirit of the rule. And so it'll be interesting to see how they navigate that. That is going to be probably the most difficult thing that that this transformation uh, committee has to deal with. The rest of that story is you're about to see meaningful change to the NCAA transfer portal. Now, it's not going to go away, nor should it. But what you're going to have is uh, you're going to have some parameters and some windows now. It's not going to be a 365-day-a-year deal. You're not going to have to constantly worry about a player going and getting in the portal. There are going to be windows, and I think that is kind of understood across the board. I think everybody kind of agrees this is what should happen. It's like, hey, we're not going to impede their ability to transfer, but we're not going to have this going in the transfer portal every single day. We're not going to deal with that 365 days a year, nor should we. Because that becomes a distraction to the team. That becomes a distraction to the fan base. It becomes this constant drip. So here's what we're going to do. You decide you don't want to be here, then uh, you can make a move. But these, this is the transfer window. And so that's what you're going to be dealing with. Uh, that, that will be meaningful, and that will be something that happens uh, rather sooner rather than later. I, I expect meaningful legislation about kind of curtailing some of the transfer stuff. Now, there's talk, too, about bringing back free transfers, as long as you're eligible. Um, and then there's some discussion, too, about, you know, you could go to a different school every year. And then other people would say, well, there are other people that feel like, you know what, let's kind of go back to what we were. You can transfer as much as you want, but you can't be immediately eligible unless you're a grad transfer. So those are things they have to kind of figure out as we kind of move forward with this. Now, another thing that I kind of touched on over on the jeanspage.com message boards is uh, there are going to be some changes to the recruiting calendar, uh, and there are going to be some changes to the recruiting process. So there is a lot of discussion about the official 
beginning date of the recruiting process is going to be like June 15th after a sophomore year. And that means you can do anything. I mean, that, like once you can recruit them, you can recruit them. You can start sending them mailers. You can send them official offers, that sort of stuff. And there's going to be dates, kind of parameters around that. But we have made so many rules within the NCAA recruiting process that uh, that really negatively impact coaches that don't really serve any true benefit. One of the rules that I think is the dumbest in the history of the NCAA is that a coach can travel all the way across the country to go see a prospect in the spring but can't talk to him. That's stupid. I mean, what, what, what benefit does that serve? You, you mean he can't spend 10 minutes talking to the kid? You say, hey, we're really interested in you. And, you know, some of that happens anyway. There's always a discussion to bump in. Now, one of the things that they're talking about doing now is basically if we have a recruiting period, it's a contact period. To me, that makes incredible sense. It's like if a coach gets in a car – and you got, let's say you got six weeks in the spring and six weeks in, in, after the fall semester, you know, leading up to signing day. And uh, they can go meet with the prospect and their families, whether it be the spring, whether it be the fall. Now, they're talking about, though, not being able to pull them out of class, which makes perfect sense to me. So you can, um, you can go and see the kid. And after school, you can talk to him post-practice. You can talk to him uh, at his home later. So they're kind of figuring that aspect of it out. But there are going to be a lot of changes in that respect, too. You know, but the way this thing works now is coaches are basically having to recruit 365 days a year. 365. I mean, they're constantly having to do all this, recruit their own kids, stay out of the portal, uh, recruit each other kids. And so let's make their time a little more efficient. We're also going to have shutdown periods where everything is shut down, too, for everybody. You know, it's going to be one of those deals where you're going to have more uniformity in a recruiting calendar really in all sports. Uh, so that's something to kind of be mindful of, too. But there's going to be a lot of changes with the transfer portal, with name, image, and likeness, uh, with staffing. And we talked about the scholarship thing. You know, the main thing is determining what's the squad size. What's the squad size? You know, how big, how many people can we have on a team? And then if we, fully, if we choose to fully fund that uh, by conference, uh, you know, how does that impact things? Does this lead to more uh, divisions in college baseball or softball? I, th- I think it probably does. And I think that needs to happen. You know, in basketball, you're basically you're division one. I mean, you don't have an FCS model. Uh, but I think in baseball, and I am a proponent of having divisions in baseball, those that want to fully fund, stay at the top. Those that don't, go to the bottom. We can still play each other. That's what we do in football. But we're competing for a different championship. And I think that makes the most sense to me. Absolutely the most sense to me. And so we talked about the, the, the uh, paying the third assistant. You know, the proposal last year went down in flames, and I'm told some of that is because of this transformation committee thing was coming, and it wasn't just about going to be baseball and softball. I, you know, we thought that was going to pass last year because basically they weren't going to require you to pay the third assistant. They were just going to open up the possibility. But here's the thing, too. Uh, nobody's going to help the SEC. I mean, you, I mean, you think Monmouth baseball wants to give Mississippi State any other great advantages? It's like, yeah, we can't afford to pay our third assistant, but we're going we're gonna, to, yeah, we'll go sign off so they can go pay their guy. So it's like nobody's going to do us any favors. Nobody's going to feel sorry for us. Nobody's going to do us any favors. And if you look at the SEC, um, you know, it doesn't take much you know, to realize you know, that the SEC has kind of taken over college baseball in many respects. Um, so – do you think that the have-nots out there are going to say, you know what, hey, isn't this sweet? Let's help those guys even more. 
Let me just kind of run this down for you here as of late. You know, Mississippi State wins it last year. Vanderbilt wins it in 19. Florida wins it in 17. Vanderbilt wins it in 14. South Carolina wins it in 10 and 11. LSU wins it in 09. So, you know, you begin to see there are less teams winning the winning the national championship outside of the conference combined. You know, the other conferences combined aren't even measuring up. You know, we talk about nine. So, so, so since 2009, so we're talking – Really, I guess 11 championships because 2020 was canceled. Now, Mississippi State involved in all this very much so. But you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven NAFL champions. Seven. Pretty incredible. All right, listen, let's get out of here today. A little bit shorter today. Appreciate your guys' contributions. Go to dogpilethebook.com. You can order the books. All the sports books are there. Uh, that's Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, Flim Flam, and uh, Dogpile. You can find Blooms of Oleander. Uh, at Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, Books a Million. Always find Stark Villains gear at StarkVillains.com. And come join us over at JeansPage.com. You'll be glad you did. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.